commit to the idea that you do actually want to, what I would say, become a real business. Um, and that means thinking like a business, not thinking like someone who does design or photograph or copyright as, a, as solely that thing. You're listening to Creatives Making Money, the podcast for creatives who are on a mission to do the work they feel most called to do and make some money while they do it. This is a show for the makers, the dreamers, the doers, the creators, the artists, the crazy ones, and the ones who are determined to consciously build the life and career of their dreams. Here, we don't just believe in getting your dream job, we believe in creating it. So what does creative success even look like? How do we live a fully expressed, abundant AF life? That's precisely what we're here to find out. My mission with Creatives Making Money is to conduct 100 interviews with successful creatives and those who love and support them about money, career, and the process of making and doing what they most love, including all of the ups, downs, and in-betweens. I'm your host, Jamie Jensen, writer, storyteller, filmmaker, serial entrepreneur, and shameless creator. No matter where you are in your creative and financial journey, I'm here to help you create like you mean it. Hello and welcome to Creatives Making Money. I'm your host, Jamie Jensen, and today I'm so thrilled to have Jason Withers with us. Jason is a profit mentor and a business growth coach, and he helps entrepreneurs and owner-managed businesses really zero in on their profit. So going beyond just the revenue side, um, looking at you know where are all the numbers going, what is the money doing, how is the money performing in your business, all of that stuff. So he um, is a hybrid mix of part CFO, part coach, part consultant, and he brings 25 years, actually more than 25 years of commercial, operational, and financial experience together, delivering a powerful mix of profit transforming business support. So he's basically a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I'll go with that. Yeah, why not, right? Profit superhero. Um, he's also a profit first coach, which if you're familiar with um, the work of Profit First and the book Profit First, um, it's an excellent, excellent model to be using. And I've read that book and applied that system to my business as well. So I know how powerful and awesome it is. And Jason um, is a profit first coach. So he really does help entrepreneurs with that system to create a more profitable life by learning to pay themselves first and creating a system for their business so that profit is already part of the money that they're bringing in. You're, you're putting, literally putting profit first. Um, he also hosts a radio show called The Profit Levelers uh, every other Monday, which is really the purpose of that show is to bring more awareness to the way that we can build profitable businesses. And I love, I'm so excited actually to, um, to dive in more with, with you, Jason. <laughs> so thank you for being Fantastic. I can't wait to share all of your genius with, with our listeners. <laughs> No, great. Thanks very much for the um, very generous intro. And um, yeah, I, the, the thing about profit for me is it is, it's the reason, believe it or not, that we're in business. There's a ton of other things that we want to do with our time in business, of course. Um, but ultimately, the commercial end piece is all about, is all about profit. And, uh, and that's my thing. It's what I've spent 25 years working with. And it's, um, it's the part of business that I really enjoy. How did you... How did you get started? Like, 
how did you become a money person? (laughs) (laughs) I know that's like a weird question to ask, but I'm just going to ask it in the most direct way possible. Um, Because, you know, like that's like a department, you know, it's like an area of business. It's an area of, of, um, to focus on. So I'm just so curious to hear more about like, how did that become your thing? You know? So I, I suppose it, I could, I could take it pretty much all the way back into my school years. I love maths and economics. We're going to take it back. Um, We're going to take it way take it right back. back. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll fast forward in a bit. Don't panic. Um, but yeah, it, it really started maths and economics. I loved at school. Um, and that led me into an accounting and finance degree. The one big thing about doing that accounting and finance degree was that it taught me I did not want to be an accountant. Um, the profession, when, when they came in and presented to us, made it sound, quite frankly, extremely dull. Um, and I'd worked out by then I had a real love for the, the commercial trading part of the business. Um, the piece where it's actually about day-to-day trade, what people do, what they buy, what they sell, how they make money doing that. That was the bit that really, um, that I really wanted to chase down, I think, as, as my career. Um, my first job was working with um, a branch of builders merchants and had the great fortune to um, find myself in one of the top 10 loss-making branches in the, in the country here in the UK. And this was a company that had about 145 branches. And this was a business that was losing about $350,000 a year at, at its worst point. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, through a, through a series of, of events over about 18 months, I ended up running that, that particular branch and did a turnaround on it and brought it back to break even in about 18 months. Um, and that really was my, was my first piece of really learning to trade a business for myself. Although I'd, I decided it was what I wanted to do. That was my first real experience of doing it. And um, yeah, from there, I ended up um, moving down to London uh, to live with my now wife. Um, I was a sales rep for a year, um, again, in Builders Merchanting, but then she introduced me to a design business, um, a multidisciplinary design practice um, that she'd worked for previously. I actually then spent 14 years doing a lot of the number crunching stuff, all of the, the basic bookkeeping work. Um, monthly management accounts, preparation of audit files, um, and that was sort of 14 years. But that also had a very commercial end to it. Um, and then 2008, financial crisis happened. I ended up having moved into a much more commercial part of the business, um, which I absolutely adored. Found myself being dragged back more and more into the day-to-day transactional stuff, which, quite frankly, I hated. And um, decided to leave and um, effectively the plan was to go and freelance um, as a CFO and for the design businesses. So for the last seven years, I've really continued doing that, working with owner-managed businesses, entrepreneurial businesses, um, really focusing in on helping them achieve greater levels of profitability. So it's, it's sort of been a 25-year evolution, I suppose, um, mm-hmm. and started from what should have been a very traditional um, accounting type outset, but um, but no, thankfully I left that piece behind a long time ago, and um, now thoroughly enjoy the far more commercial aspects of money and trade. Well, you said that you like loved economics. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that like one of those weird things you think you'll never hear anybody say? <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, there are definitely things that 
maybe aren't like most people wouldn't consider fun, right? That I that <laughs> I love, you know, where it's like everyone's like, I don't understand why this is something you're obsessed with. I'm just curious, like, how did you fall in love with economics? Like, what about economics is lovable in from your point of view? I think from from my point of view, it was um it was starting to understand basic relationships around supply and demand and the things that move those things for people. Um, I think we, we take so many things for granted as part of our transactional day-to-day lives now. Um, we actually forget that there is some quite fundamental theory behind it. Um, the things that we think pull and push people towards what we have to offer, um, what price does, um, and how attractive some things become as they become more expensive, not only as they become less expensive. So all of those sorts of relationships, and I, I like the sort of the micro end of it, that pure theory side, and then the macro side, as, it, as you start to get into how countries trade and how countries manage their finances, or in most cases don't, of course. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it very broad, broad subject, but that was my first real interaction I suppose around those sorts of things um and I think it was something that you know the love of maths the fact that I already had this um I suppose general commercial ambition and number oriented ambition about what I thought my career was going to be it just fitted in um so yeah I I I have to say I did thoroughly enjoy it <laughs> I love I also love that you have this experience with a design agency and that there is this sort of you know this angle of like delivering creative services and like the financial (laughs) side of that and what that looks like. And it's, that must be, it's so interesting. I'm curious to know, um, you know, cause you mentioned even just talking about like economics and, and what, you know, what you've loved about it, that this fascination with like pricing strategy of whether it's more expensive or less expensive. And does that make it sexier, more appealing to somebody? (laughs) Um, is that like, do you, ever cover pricing strategy with your clients when you work with them? Is that something that you talk about? Like talking about revenue and price in addition to, you know, kind of mapping out their profit strategy? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, um, you know, it, it is a key, key part of what happens. And I think people go through evolutions with pricing. Um, that I think initially there is very much a, I just need to sell something to somebody kind of feeling. And that typically tends to lead people down a cheaper price point to get their foot on the ladder and then think that they can always just ratchet the prices up as things move forward but it's not always that easy and then i think that there are some things that you you see in businesses and you think this is just so undervalued and i think it comes back to this idea that having external people look at your business um, with a supportive critical eye can be one of the greatest things that businesses can do because so often we get so close to these things that we perceive the value in what we do to be so much less than it actually is. So quite a lot of the work that actually comes out of that is very much actually about the coaching piece around money itself and getting Mm -hmm. people confident around the subject of money, not only pricing. Um, And I think that it really becomes a if you can get people to a point where it becomes a very value driven experience rather than a transactional experience, that again is a move that people end up making to provide confidence around saying, yes, here is my daily rate. If you're in a daily rate kind of world and that's how you price your services or, you know, starting to get people to think about how they mark up external costs or charge out members of staff. Um, these are all things that we get, we get trapped in, 
um, I think the right word is, is an axiom of believing things to be how they are because they have always been that way. Um, and so often I think it is people can't see actually what, what's ahead of them. And it's where the external view really, really has its, has its day. And yeah, pricing is definitely something that I think people should review on a, on a very frequent basis. Um, you know, as their experience, as the, as their market share expands, um, confidence comes with that. There is only so much time. If your business isn't in a particularly scalable place because of its structure, then yes, that can become a limitation and price becomes one of the great filters for that. So um, I think it can also come back to thinking around how people can earn a profit efficiently in their business. Um, and pricing has a, has a large part to play in that as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What, I mean, I love that you're touching on value too, because, you know, obviously in, in the worlds of like copywriting and marketing and developing, you know, marketing messages and, and how you position and communicate um, your offer and what value you have to offer with your services or products. Um, when you say creating a value-driven experience, you know, when we're talking about value, whether it be somebody not really being clear on what their value is that they're delivering um, and or like communicating and delivering a value-driven experience, um, how would you kind of define value and what do you think gets in the way of people feeling clear on the value they're delivering? I think that's a great question. I think actually um, copywriting actually provides a great example. and to me, this is, it's partly to do with how I, how I think about costs. And I, I tend to break them down into, into two parts. One is the pure overhead piece and one is the piece of cost that relates directly to a sale. So in copywriting language, I would differentiate there between, say, writing copy for a website. Now, at some point, people hope they're going to drive traffic to the website. They hope that the copy on the website will make people click to do the next thing, whatever the next call to action is. But there's no guarantee of a, of a sale at, at that point in time, unless it's a, a transactional site, of course. Whereas if you now take it to the other side and think about running a launch or getting an offer out there and copywriting a sales page that leads directly to a transactional shopping cart button type experience, they are two very different implementations around a, around a broad skill. And the value and the, and the cost that runs with both of those things, I think people see as, as being very different. Would somebody be, be prepared to pay more for a sales page that converted like gangbusters, probably. Would they be prepared to pay the same amount of money to have their website copywritten? Maybe not. I'm sure in some instances people will do um, as their window on the world, of course. But I think it is, it's really trying to get people to a point where they understand this, the concept around the return on investment. And I think that's where the education of how people think about I'm spending this much on a sales page. It might seem like a lot of money, but if you have a great product, if you've tested it, if you know it's something that your market wants and that copywritten page can help you convert so much better, then that's going to help with reducing ad costs. It's going to help with reach and conversions. So the profit that comes out the back end of actually making that investment in the beginning is so much greater. But again, I think it becomes a confidence play for people around, you know, it can always be that, oh, that seems like a lot of money. But if you can get to the other side of that piece of thinking and actually look at what that copy is designed to do, it is designed to help you 
make more profit more efficiently. Consequently, the ROI pays out time and time again down the line on that basis. So I think it's, it, it's a, it can be a difficult concept because people obviously value things in very different ways. But I think being able to stand back and interrogate what the cost is really being incurred to do actually helps us work out how much we actually value that thing in the first place. Um, and I think where there is a clear outcome or a clear goal attached to it, that makes it so much easier for us to, to understand the concept of value um, when we actually buy and trade services. Mm-hmm. I, I love that you're sharing so much of your thought process too. Um, I think it's really helpful to hear when you talk about the way that you kind of assess value or think about value or, um, you know, and that, that comes down to like even making decisions about invest, like investing in certain things for someone's business, right? Like if they're deciding if they should invest in um, a particular coach or, or like bringing a bookkeeper on, or maybe they want to yeah. hire a copywriter or they want to rebrand their business or they're considering doing some kind of program or retreat or throwing an event and like, um, that's an expensive thing to be doing, right? Like how do they sure. justify those costs? How do they make those decisions around investment? So I'm, I'm just excited that you're sharing so much about, uh, you know, like your thought process around money and it's making me curious, um, in your journey, you know, in kind of working in the financial side of business and, and looking at profit in such a focused way, were there any beliefs that you had around money that you kind of had to like shift or work on or rethink or restructure in your mind to kind of take on the way of thinking that you have now? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, and I think that that is, that is a great question. Um, <laughs> I think that actually I, I, would, I would apply it to how I see um, not so much the entrepreneurial world but, but world, but certainly the brick and mortar world. This idea, and for anybody that's worked in corporate, you, you, you may well recognize this, this kind of concept. It's the idea that, that we walk in through the same door to that business every day. We sit at the same desk. We do fundamentally the same thing. The people around us have been on exactly the same journey. And then we all walk out the same door at the end of the day. And then we come back and re- repeat the process the following day. We're so blinkered in that world, typically, about what is actually going on in the outside world. But I think the moment that we open our eyes and ears to what is going on in the outside world, it actually helps us break down some of these typical limiting beliefs. I can remember um, when I left my last sort of corporate corporate role, um, working with that design agency, I can remember going to a networking meeting and it was a, it was sort of a, a mastermind type scenario. And um, I can remember somebody who um, wrote high-end software um, for banks in, in the city in London. And I can remember him sitting there saying, yep, well, you know, if you're not charging, you know, in UK money, £2,000 a day for your services, then, you know, it's really not worth doing. And I can remember sitting there thinking that people would never pay me £2,000 a day to do what I do. And it's because I hadn't spent enough time in a world that was so used to thinking about value, not just the limiting belief about what I thought people would pay. And I think one of the things to recognize is that people will pay all sorts of money for all sorts of things. And it's so important when we're talking, you know, with with clients and prospective clients, we should not project our own thoughts about money on them. 
it's important that they get to make their decisions. £5,000 is a lot of money for, for one person. It's not a lot of money for someone else. And I think it's important that we, we bring this piece of value back in to recognise how much it means to that person. You know, if you say writing, writing a sales page for $1,000, but it's going to have a great return and that'll earn you $10,000 back, well, that's a great $1,000 spent. The idea for some people of thinking, yeah, but it's only a couple of paragraphs. Yes, but if it's really well crafted and it's going to convert like that, then that's worth spending the money all day long. So, yeah, I've, I think it's I think it's really about being prepared to open eyes and ears to what is going on around us and thinking first and foremost about the value that we bring into what our clients actually want and what they themselves value. It's not right that we project on them a feeling that, well, I couldn't possibly charge you that much. They may well value it enough to pay at that sort of higher rate. So, yeah, I think it's... There are there are beliefs out there for sure. I have to say I'm I'm fortunate in that I don't carry many of them with me, um, and never have done. But I definitely think that that pricing journey and that initial discussion from probably seven seven and a half years ago now um, has stuck with me ever since because I never thought it was possible, and clearly it is possible. It's just a question of finding your marketplace, your clients. Um, and how you can serve at a higher level that provides value at that sort of level. Um, and those people are out there. We just have to do the work to engage and show up and, and find those people. If that's, if that's where we are, that's what we have to do. I love that. I want to, I want to go behind the scenes a little bit with how, how you work with clients um, and sure. kind of what you see and common things that come up and that sort of thing. Like just getting, getting, getting a peek into, into your brain and your eyes <laughs> and your ears basically. <laughs> so um, I'm really curious with the way that you work with clients, is there, you know, is there something that you see with their beliefs around money that you think is kind of getting in their way of be, being more profitable? Um, <laughs> yes. Um, there, there is a, there is a common theme. Um, and and I, I would express it like this. There are a lot of people who are running some great businesses the piece of education that they have been missing is the fundamental piece about what, what the actual triggers and the levers are that actually help a business make money um, and make profit. And this is the thing. It comes back to this classic sort of um, entrepreneurial piece about getting involved, trading, selling things, and getting on and repeating that process and thinking that we need to do more and more of it to make more profit. When in actual fact, it's quite often the reverse of that, that we spend an awful lot of time doing the classic hashtag all the things, when in actual fact, there are very few things that we need to actually concentrate on. And if we are focused about those things, life changes a lot because we stop running around trying to find a random answer that we hope by doing lots of different and disparate things will add up to something. When we get focused, it makes it so much easier to see results and see progression within a business and certainly within its profitability. So the, one of the first things that I always do with a business and really try and break down for business owners is this idea that there are only three things um, 
that will ever um, A, affect and B, that you can ever use to your advantage to improve profitability in a business. And that really comes back to sales is the first one, margin is the second one, and overhead or expenses is the third one. And it's actually getting business owners to understand it's not nearly as complex as they probably think it is. I have um, one of my clients is, um, is a firm of electrical contractors. The guy that runs the business is called Jim. Now, Jim will tell anybody that he is just an electrician. But what Jim can't see is that Jim is, is an electrician who has now employed 40 other people in his business and has 20 vehicles out on the road every day servicing all sorts of clients on all sorts of contracts. But he just sees himself as an electrician. He is a fantastic example of someone who has a fundamentally great business, but has spent a lot of time trying to work incredibly hard, just trying to make some money. When in actual fact, focusing on those three areas makes it a much more structured process for someone who is not financially trained. Um, and I think it's a common thread that goes between a lot of businesses. Business owners become business owners quite often, almost by default, rather than by design. And as a result, we're very good at the thing that we know how to do, but the other things we have to learn around the outside. So whilst finance and profit and money might be my thing, I'm certainly no sales superhero, I'm no marketing guru, but these are things that I still have to engage in every day to make myself a better all-round business person. I have to pay attention to these things. So yeah, I think as a, as a common thread, it's one of the first things that I try and do with people is to help them see it's not nearly as complex as they probably think that it is. Um, and that is definitely a, a belief that comes across quite a lot, that people always feel the need to do more rather than focus on the things that actually matter and make a difference to their bottom line. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Do you mind kind of slowing down and repeating what those three things are? Because I feel like this sure. is a really, really juicy, valuable nugget for, for listeners to take away. Sure. So I want them to be able to actually hear you like say what those three things are and like briefly explain, uh, just like touch on, you know, how they could maybe apply that. You know what I mean? If they were going to kind of sure. do something different or focus on that instead of something else. Um, yeah. Sure. So um, this is this actually comes back to um, that turnaround that I did in the Builders Merchants. Um, and we applied, we used these same, very same three things um, in a very structured way. Um, but basically created three separate strategies and then had tactical actions underneath each one. So the first part of that was sales. So without sales, you have nothing. Um, as a business. So number one, we definitely need some sales, but not all sales are created equally. So this again is where pricing comes into this along the way. Um, do you want to sell a hundred units of something for $1 to make a hundred dollars? Or do you want to sell one thing for a hundred dollars? The answer is still the same in terms of the sales number. So the first thing that we actually look at is what are your sales? Who are you selling your products to? Where are they located? What are the price points for those products? And then we look really at, at where the, the, the juiciest parts of that are. So the first part of this is, yes, increasing sales is definitely part of the work that we have to do. So anything you can do um, to increase those sales is a good thing. 
But as I said, not all sales are created equally. And this is where the second part really comes into play. And that's about margin. So this is where um, you uh, use an example of someone running a retreat, for example, um, in something that you said a couple of minutes ago. So with a retreat, yes, maybe we sell tickets for people to attend that retreat. Um, but against that, we're going to have the costs of hiring the venue, um, maybe paying other speakers to be there. We have travel and accommodation costs. We maybe have some marketing costs to go with that. And those costs sit directly against that, that event. So that's, that's an area where we have to be really careful um, and it's actually the most important part about making money. And for me in the work that I do, I try and get people to focus on the margin piece more than the sales piece, actually. Because if we can work out how to create good margin, then that actually is the thing that's really going to drive us forward in profit terms down the line. Um, and then the third part of that is overhead or our, or our daily operational expenses. So that may well be things like, um, whatever we pay for our email subscription service, for example, or maybe it's what we pay our accountant at the end of the year. So again, just really going through those overhead expenses um, and being diligent about them. Um, as people and business people, we tend to hoard costs. We tend to spend things on money that we think we will use or we will get value out of, but in actual fact, we never do. This is obviously a classic for all the courses that we've all ever bought and never done anything with. Um, it's a classic for the things that we subscribe to, but we never really use or truly get the value out of them. Um, it's about the members of staff or the people on our team that we don't monitor and control. You mean like so when people join a gym things, and then never go? <laughs> that's exactly the kind of thing. That is exactly the kind of thing. But it's, you know, it's a great, it, it, it is a great real life example. We all have these things in our lives and our businesses that we pay money out for every day, week, month. Um, but we don't actually get the value out of, and yet we find it very hard to give it up as <laughs> money going out of our bank account. And it's just, it's just part of a, of a process and a procedure, an ongoing procedure that we should always come back to. So yeah, so the three things, sales, margin, and overhead. They're the three areas of the business that we, that we really look to examine, and we, we create strategies around each of those areas work out where we're trying to take each area and then create the tactical actions to sit underneath that. And those tactical actions are obviously relative to whatever business it is that, that we're actually dealing with at any point in time. Um, and that just reflects the, the different ways that businesses are structured and the different audiences that we have and how we get so our product awesome. to market. So if somebody like is listening to this and they hear these three things and they're like freaking out, <laughs> They're going, I don't, I don't want to look at those numbers or I'm afraid to face what the expenses are, or I don't want to admit that I'm a member of a gym I don't use, or, <laughs> or they're just like, how do yeah. I decide what my margin is? You know, is there like one initial step um, or like just, you know, a piece of advice that you would say, okay, these are the three things. If I was just going to give you one place to start to kind of get, give yourself a picture of where you're at with, with your profits. Um, you know, what would you have them do? That was like the least, the, the like low, lowest barrier to entry to start getting a handle on these things. 
Um, the easiest place for people to start, I think, is always going to be going through their expenses, believe it or not. Um, I think that people think about sales in a much more complicated way. It's about how you get your product to market, what your audience look like, looks like. It's much easier to actually go through your own bank statements or your company's bank statements and actually say, what am I, what am I spending my money on? Do I really need that? Do I really use that? What return do I get out of this? Do I need to keep spending the money on it? That is probably going to be the quickest win for most people. Um, having said that, um, the one that really does take the focus is to think long and hard about what you're selling and who you're selling it to and the price that you're selling it for. And that really comes back to the amount of effort that it takes to um, to market and sell that product as well. As I say, some you know not all sales are created equally. Um, some things, high ticket value, and the engagement that goes with that may well be worth it compared to doing an awful lot of running around, running a greater number of clients, fundamentally for the same result. So yes, go through those expenses, check them off the list make the commitment to stop paying the money and take the action to stop subscription. Um, one of the other things I would say about it is, it, and I'll take your gym example actually, it doesn't mean you can't ever go back and rejoin the gym. Life changes, things evolve. There's no reason why you can't ever go back and rejoin the gym. It's just the same with business. If you, if you don't need the, the subscription that at the moment in your business, it's not to say you never will and that you won't get value out of it in the future. But if you know it's not really serving your business at the moment, then cut the expense out now and then redeploy and take the expense back on when you are actually ready to use it and get the value out of it. So there's two things there actually at both ends of the spectrum really. It's so funny because even as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, gosh, there are definitely things that I'm subscribed to for my business that I don't use regularly. And one of the reasons that I'm still subscribed is because I have this like low monthly rate because of when I joined. So it's yep. like, if I did let it go, then, I, then if I rejoined, it would totally be more money. And I'm giggling to myself because for the amount of value I'm getting out of it overall you know, it's probably the same thing because I'm paying every month anyway. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's funny when I think about like pricing structures and, and strategies and uh, membership models and like how well that works because it's yeah. so easy to justify in your head. Like, you know, I had a gym membership, for example, before I moved, that was like $25 a month. And I was like, <laughs> I may never use the gym, but $25. I mean, that's what I pay for like, <laughs> for like one yoga class. Right. So it's like, yeah. you just, you know, it's, it's just the psychology of that is so interesting to me. I think so. I'll, I'll just take that on a, a little bit if I may, Jamie. So one of the, one of the things that I, that I live by is this idea that profit gives you choices. So from a commercial standpoint, the more profit we make, the more freedom it gives us. The more freedom we have, the more choices we can make, the more impact that we can have. So what I would say to you actually now, taking your subscription example is, if you think about those things, if you stopped paying the money out to the things that you're not using at the moment, what could you redeploy those funds for that you might actually get value out of and that might actually help your business move forward? So 
this is quite an interesting one because it's now not just about saying cut the cost out, it's about saying how well do you actually use the money in your business to help your business move forward, which to me is an intriguing commercial question because the idea should be you should spend the least amount possible to get the greatest return totally, but could you spend a bit more to get a bigger return? So that again provokes some interesting conversations around how businesses develop and grow. That is so fascinating. And I hope that that blew everyone's mind the way that it's blowing my mind right now. <laughs> because it's Stop such spending interesting... the money, but spend the money. Yeah. Well, spend it on something else that actually brings more value into your business, right? It's like, so if I release yeah. these, these softwares I'm not using, and then I have, let's say an extra $500 a month, like, would I put those $500 towards Facebook ads? Would I put those $500 towards, yep. you know, a consultation with somebody who could give me more, you know, pointed strategic um, advice on something that would be like a faster solution than, uh, than, than the way that I was solving whatever problem that software is supposed to solve in my business, right? So it's just Absolutely. such a fascinating way to think about, um, about like how your money is kind of really working for you, even in, in each and every expense that you're choosing for your business, right? Absolutely. And, there, and therein lies the thing. Let's, let's create the maximum amount of profit that we can to start with. Let's give ourselves the greatest opportunity to make choices in our business and in our lives. And that's our personal lives as well as our business lives. Um, so those sorts of things, I think, are part of that process of, of growing a business. Um, you know, we all have things that we use for a while, we move on from them, we forget about them, that happens. And one of the things that I think we lose as business owners periodically is the discipline of being prepared to make some, some of the harder choices. Um, so yes, for, for the sake of argument, if you cut those things out, could you scale faster by channeling that money, as you quite rightly say, into Facebook ads, into something that you know is working into something that you know is selling into something that you know is a is a perfectly good product for your audience um would that actually help create more profit in your business faster that again would recycle the idea of more profit giving you more choices that means you could have more impact you could reach a greater number of people um the skills that you teach could then help them impact more people as a result so it becomes a very interesting discussion commercially for me around how people think about what's in their business at the moment compared to what they could actually have if they were prepared to engage with some of the less comfortable choices, let's say. I love this conversation so much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much jason just no I, it's just i love money i love talking about money it's just like so fun so i'm just having a great time thank you so much i just want you to know that <laughs> this isn't for anyone That's this isn't for this isn't know. for the listeners this good one's just know. this one's just for me no i'm kidding it's for everybody okay <laughs> there's i just think there's so much value and so much benefit in having this conversation and i really like this is so awesome so thank you so much jason Jason. No, um, you're so welcome. It's it's great to actually have um, have the outlet to have the discussion in the first place, because I think it is something that as entrepreneurs, you know, as I say, I'm not a sales superhero. I'm not a marketing superhero. Profit is my thing. 
you have your thing, other people will have their thing. But it doesn't mean that we get to ignore the other parts of, of what it means to fundamentally be in business and have to engage with some of the topics that we don't enjoy quite so much. Um, and I think that anything um, from my perspective that I can do to help encourage people to engage in this part of their business, um, I think is really, it is the thing that I, I'm most committed to doing now in my, in my life and actually trying to impact more people to give them the confidence to have exactly these kind of discussions. It's so exciting. And what I, something I thought of when you were um, talking earlier was, um, how would you advise, so, you know, you were, you had your example of like uh, the mechanic or somebody who's really a specialist and what they offer and the services they provide and how they're great at what they do, but there's like these other pieces of business that they need to get better at. And so what I'm curious about is, you know, particularly with your background working for a design agency, is there something that you would like apply, like recommend someone do, like, let's say there's a, a, a freelancer listening to this. Maybe they yeah. are a copywriter or a designer and they don't necessarily have products or other things that they offer. They really are providing creative services in that, like a freelancer. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, how you would kind of recommend um, taking this approach, you know, like the, the approach to kind of look at profit and, and think about those, those three areas. Um, is there anything that you would kind of advise them to do that might be different or might kind of get them more comfortable with just starting to think about themselves as a business as opposed to like a hand for hire? <laughs> yeah. Um, this, I think this is, this is a really interesting one, particularly within, within the design and media space, because there are, I, I think it, it does actually boil down to the individual. And I think we have to, we, we have to be honest at this point in time, not everybody wants a, a big and bold business. Some people are perfectly happy being, as you say, the hand for hire. They enjoy the piece that they do and that, that very much satisfies their life. I think for those who think that there is, there is more that can be done with their skill set, there are so many opportunities now in the online arena particularly um, to impact people with the skill of design. Um, with the skill of copywriting, with the skill of photography. Um, the concept of getting into a niche, and I'll take photography, you know, whether you are weddings, travel, um, all of those different things, there are ways to expand um, an audience and impact more people purely because of how the online world works and how it interfaces. So, yes, the concept of being able to earn money by being the photographer that you want to be servicing clients in a certain way also means that there are plenty of people out there who could still benefit from your experience but not necessarily working directly one-on-one -on -one with you that could easily come out of passive income products it could be online courses it could be group coaching courses there are so many different ways that that income horizon um, is so much more easy to achieve now because of the online arena um, and the way that information can be disseminated. So I, I think it really, first things first, decide whether or not you are happy staying in your lane doing the thing you're doing or commit to the idea that you do actually want to, what I would say, become a real business. 
Um, and that means thinking like a business, not thinking like someone who does design or photograph or copyright as, a, as solely that thing. And it is about looking at the layers that you can start adding. And most of it, to be fair, is really the skill of repurposing your core skill. Can you represent what you do in a slightly different way to reach more people? Um, so I, I think that, that the first thing is make the decision. Are you committed to being a business or are you committed to being a hand for hire? As you, as I'll take your phrase on that. Um, that's the first thing. If the choice is I want to become a business, then I would say the next stage of that is start. Um, it is about opening ears, opening eyes, start engaging in what is going on in the online world. Go looking for the photographers. If you're a photographer, go looking for the other copywriters around you and see what is actually going on. See how people are bringing those things to a much wider audience in the world, you know, and again, through things like memberships as well. So I think that it is a, it's definitely a make a decision, do your research, and then look at the things that you like as an individual. So this comes back a little bit, I suppose, to the idea, do you like to write? If you like writing, you, then you have blog posts and written communication to go down. If you like being on camera, Facebook Lives are obviously a great way to go. So YouTube obviously lends itself very much into that um, uh, creative arena as well, of course, some great things that people are doing there um, in terms of video graphics and so on and engaging content. So there are so many things that can be done, but I think it's then important to work out what suits you as an individual, what do you feel comfortable with, and then start to adapt and repurpose your skill set accordingly. Awesome. I'm curious, are there any other like big mistakes or misconceptions that you see people making as you work with them one-on-one -on -one or even just encounter them in a consultation? Is there anything that you... Are there, do you think that there are myths or like beliefs that people are kind of carrying around that, that are almost pushing them in a direction of like making some kind of common mistake with how they manage their money in their business? Um, I'll start with this one. There is, I, I think one of the things- I love how you're like, I'll, I'll start because start it's, a, it's, one, yeah. it's actually a novel. Yeah. It's very long. I'm going to yeah. write you, a, I'm gonna write you <laughs> an encyclopedia of mistakes and misconceptions, but mm. let's start with this one. Start with this one. Um, and this is something that I see every day online. It is people pushing the idea that revenue and sales is the answer to everything. Um, and to me, and I go back to some of the things I said earlier on with you, it is a very dangerous misconception. I'm totally on board with the idea, without sales you have nothing. But as I said, not all sales are created equally. So what happens if someone actually has a product that is losing, losing the money, but they don't really understand it's losing the money, and they do more of that thing, and they try and sell more of that product? What happens? The loss just gets bigger. So actually, it's a great example of when revenue is not the answer. <laughs> Sorting out the product is the answer much more. So I think, it is, I think it is a misconception generally that people think that just by selling more, you will end up with more profit. In a well-run business, 
the answer is yes that should be the case but it is not always the case and it is certainly not a given um and i think that is why i, I come back to this idea that commercially it is about the profit it's not about the revenue so one of the things that crops up within the profit first um, arena is very much this idea of a thing called real revenue and basically that takes out all the materials and subcontractor pieces so the idea that my electrician guy is running a three million dollar business in profit first terms he isn't because all he's really doing for about a million dollars is just managing some money for other people it's not really part of his business so really it really does come back to this idea sales is vanity profit is sanity so i think it is important that people register the idea profit is what we're after not necessarily sales so i think that that is that's probably the biggest one because people go chasing the revenue without understanding it may not actually increase their profit Right. I love that you said sales is vanity because people do chase the revenue and they're like, I have a seven figure business. <laughs> I'm making millions yeah. and millions of dollars and keeping very little of it. <laughs> I, I, in actual fact, I will. Um, there, there was a business that I was working with um, a couple of years ago now who were doing probably a million and a half dollars in revenue. Their profit in the year that I started with them was less than the profit in my business doing what I do. Hmm. That's crazy. <laughs> did you tell them that yes, like it what is. did it oh did yes you did you and tell that, them and, that yeah oh absolutely and, and the funny thing is they had great great gross margins but they could not help themselves from spending money on marketing things that did not deliver any value at all mm. and so why do, why do you think they made why do you think that was um that was <laughs> that was because the business owner believed that by spending more on marketing it would naturally fuel the revenue in his business mm. the disconnect came in the fact that the marketing activities that they were actually doing and undertaking didn't so he was spending a phenomenal amount of money in the course of a year that was incredibly ill-purposed um, so actually going through the, the rehabilitation, quite frankly, that was required um, was no mean feat around that. But it's a great example of actually people see things for what they are because they're in front of them. It's the way he'd always done it. It's what he expected. And he just thought that by spending more, it would naturally lead to lead to this other thing. But so many of the fundamentals behind their marketing at that point in time were so poor, they didn't really know how to engage with their audience. They didn't really communicate well with their audience. So consequently, pushing more money into a thing that didn't really have a great outcome attached to it didn't help. Mm. So crazy. So I, have, I just have a, a few more questions for you. Sure. Um, what is it like being your own CFO? Is that like weird <clears throat> for you? Do you, because this is what you do and this is your thing. Do you feel like it poses different challenges? Do you, do you have external support in that area? Do you wish you, you could clone yourself and be your own CFO? That's <laughs> like a separate person. Uh, like what is, what is that like? Um, I think actually it's not weird for me because I, it's, it, um, is it, it's not really difficult to explain, but because I know what I'm doing, I know how to keep things simple for myself. So consequently, I take very little effort to actually manage myself in that way. 
I'm lean as an individual, as a business, um, in that sort of way. So the emphasis for me is very much about the service end of that equation, knowing, yes, I cut out a couple of hundred dollars of subscriptions myself last year. As I said, we all get lax around the edges as things move on and life improves. Um, and we just let things roll on unnecessarily. Um, but no, I'm pretty disciplined. It's a very, very simple business for me to run. Um, so being my own CFO is not a problem for me in that way. Um, I think it's more the, um, the bigger conflict that I have is actually I enjoy working within my clients' businesses so much, I tend to actually neglect my own. If that makes mm. sense, because you end up expending the time doing the um, providing the value for someone else to see the great thing they're about to go and do. Meanwhile, you leave yourself behind strategically. Um, and that I think I find a much more difficult thing to balance um, compared to purely the CFO being a CFO for CFO. Yeah. And that's, that's so common. Like I know designers who haven't updated their own websites in like a million years. Right. Or, um, you know, it's, or like marketers who struggle with like setting up their own marketing systems, but are great at helping other people with that. So it's just, it's it's a common thing. You're like, I want to use this zone of genius for other people. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. And I'm sure it's just the same for you, isn't it? When you think about sitting down to write your own sales page, you don't think twice about it. But then some of the other things about what your business is actually doing creatively become more of a struggle at times in that way. Mm -hmm. So true. So this is a question I ask everyone on this show and it's, it's going to be your time to answer this question. And that question is if you had $5 million, just like tax free deposited into your account, you know, tomorrow or in a week from now or next month, like it just appeared and it was yours and there were no strings attached and no, you know, it was just there and no, like tax-free. What would you do with that money? Go on holiday for starters and then work out a proper answer to the question. (laughs) I love how you're like, listen, I'm I'm like, I help people manage their money. So there's no way that I could answer that question quickly. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's, that's funny because it's, it, I, I would say it's the classic lottery winning question. And it's the, um, it's that moment where you think, well, what would you do with it? Well, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not a binary answer by and large. So um, I do know, however, that I would definitely feel far more comfortable working out a proper answer to the question, sat somewhere being relaxed with an open mind about what the possibilities could be. And again, a bit like I said about the profit gives you choices thing, it's just the same thing. That could be business things, it could be personal things, it could be social impact things, and they would all have their place within that equation somewhere. So sorry to sorry to dodge the question. No, if you're not it's, dodging it's gen- it. It's it's my genuine answer. I would take I- the first small tranche and go and sit somewhere nice and quiet in the sunshine. I think that that's a the, like a really excellent answer because it's it's really indicative um, and there's a like it's indicative of how you operate that you're not going to rush to a decision which is really great news for your clients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although, although, and, although believe me, I get I get to an awful lot of their decisions a long time before they do. Yes, I'm sure, and it's also like just great advice. You know, like if you have big decisions to make or you have you know something you know a situation where 
that might require that you just take more space and be in a relaxed state of mind so that you can be imaginative and you can kind of make really well-informed decisions that are, you know, anchored in, in, in your truth and something that you really believe in and not, not just like a whimsy. Right. So I think, um, I think that's a great answer and it's great advice um, for, for people in general. So I I love that that was your answer. I think that it's important that we, that we take space and we remember to take space. Um, it's too easy to feel compelled to do something when you're sat in front of a computer every day. Um, and it, it stops the brain working as well. And I think that one of the reasons that I do love going on holiday, apart from the pure exercise of going on holiday, is the freedom that it actually gives the mind to develop and wander and think without boundary in a very different way than when you feel that you're sat at a desk and you feel compelled to think about work and what you're doing at work all the time. So yes, learning to take those moments and find the time for space, um, I think is so important. It's such an undervalued thing. Um, in, in a world where hustle and um, hard work are, um, are the things that people so often strive for, um, the concept of being efficient about how we work and how we earn our profit and how we use our time efficiently, um, I think becomes increasingly important. And I would certainly say the older I've got, the more I've learned to value it. That's for sure. So true. And I'm so glad that we're kind of wrapping up on that note because it's so lovely and so true. Um, so for any listeners who are like, I need a Jason in my life. <laughs> um, how do they find you? How do they, you know, is there any, um, any particular platform that you like to engage with your audience on? How can I send people to stalk you and, and continue to soak up all of this brilliance? Um, in, in the absolute vein of trying to keep things as simple as possible. Um, my Facebook page, facebook.com, Jason A. Withers, um, and just message me. Um, that is by far and away the simplest way in the modern era, I think, to um, communicate and engage quickly. Um, and we can move to plenty of other places after that. Awesome. So great. And I'll be putting all of those links in the show notes too, so that you can easily go find Jason and get the support that you need with making sure that you do have a amazing profit margin in your business and that you're set up um, in those, in all of those three most important areas for success. Jason, thank you so much for being with me today. This has been amazing. My absolute pleasure, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Creators Making Money. And if you liked today's episode, don't go anywhere without subscribing. Also remember that after the show, it's the after party. So remember that we do a weekly after party on Facebook every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Each week, I'll be there jamming live on special special actionable takeaways for you from that week's episode. So go to creatorsmakingmoney.com slash after party to join us. And if you're looking to connect with more listeners and like-minded creatives, you totally can. You can hop into our private online Facebook lounge by heading to creativesmakingmoney.com group and join the free group of podcast listeners. 
Plus, as always, you can find important links and details from today's episode in our week's show notes. So today's episode's show notes are available at creativesmakingmoney.com slash Jason W. Again, that's creativesmakingmoney.com backslash Jason W. Do not hesitate to head over there now. And as always, create like you mean it.